Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book 2 of the Shadow Magic series Read by the author Prologue. There are three things people ask me when I tell them the story of how I first came to Tirnanog. The first question is, why? After finding the land, did you go back to the real world? Well, the answer to that is simple. It was stupid. But I was a teenager, and stupid is what teenagers do. The second question I get is, is it all true? That's a trickier question to answer. Everything I said was true, but I did leave a few things out. Most importantly, I fudged the story of how I met Fergal. Originally, I said I met Fergal and then immediately met a raft, but in truth, Fergal and I spent a bit of time together before we ran into the taciturn imp. I left out that part of the story so as not to get some people into trouble with their dad. But, well, that doesn't matter anymore. If you remember, I wrote that Fergal and I met on the day of the party at Castle Munn, but in reality, we met the day before. It's true that we almost stabbed each other at first meeting and that we became instant friends, but... Instead of meeting a raft and going to the party right away, we spent a night out in the woods. Here's what I originally wrote. It's where I first started to realize that Fergal wasn't, how should I put it, the quiet type. As we followed the stream, Fergal waxed on about the intricacies of banshee blade manufacture, but I didn't take much in. His voice was increasingly drowned out by the bass drum solo that began playing in my head. After I don't know how long, by which time the pounding in my head had graduated into a full-blown marching band, Fergal turned to me and said, You haven't been listening to a word I've said, have you? Huh? Oh, sure, sure I have. Fergal looked me in the eye, and I had a scary moment when I thought he was going to quiz me. Then he broke into an ear-to-ear smile and said, I like you, Connor. It usually takes friends ages to learn to ignore my babbling. You figured it out right away. He went to slap me on the back, but then stopped when he saw me flinch. You know, you look awfully rough. We're in no hurry. How about we make camp here? We found the remains of an old campfire under a tall, broad-leaved tree that had roots creeping into the stream. Fergal said it should be okay to camp under an alder this far away from the fernlands. I wanted to ask him what he meant, but I had a feeling asking too many questions would arouse suspicion. And anyway, I was too tired. Fergal took some kindling out of his bag and piled it with a ring of stones. You wouldn't have a decent fire coin, would you? Mine's practically silver. No, I've lost everything except my sword, I said, which was pretty much the truth. 
Fergal produced a half-dollar-sized disc out of his pocket and placed it beneath the little bits of wood. I think this thing has one more fire in it. He mumbled under his breath. There was a faint glow, and then smoke appeared under the wood. He blew it into a small flame. Keep an eye on this thing, and I'll beg for some wood. Fergal climbed the alder as I lay on my side and blew on the tiny flame. Just this was enough to make me feel lightheaded. I was still in pretty bad shape after that damn Rathlew thing. Whether I fell asleep or I passed out, I don't know, but the next thing I remember, Fergal was shaking me awake and handing me a stick with a fish on it that he'd just cooked on a roaring fire. Is there anything else I can do for you, Prince Connor? For a second, I thought he figured out who I was. I sat bolt upright, expecting his banshee blade to fly out of his sleeve. But then he smiled and he said, You're a fat lot of good around here. Next time I'm nursing a hangover, you wait on me. Deal, I said with a nervous laugh and took the fish. Thanks. We ate in silence. I'm not a big fan of food that can stare at me, but I was too hungry to complain. I apologized to the trout's face and wolfed the rest of it down. After dinner, Fergal put a couple of logs on the fire and said that even though he would love to talk all night, he was beat. He touched the alder, put his pack under his head, and closed his eyes. My short nap had done little to ease my overall body pain. I put my head on the ground and moaned. Just before I went out, I thought I saw strange movement in the branches above. I sat up and had a good look, but then decided I was just spooking myself. I dreamt I was back in the real world in a super posh shoe store where I didn't have to put the shoes on myself. Sales clerks actually knelt down and placed all kinds of real cool footwear directly on my feet. Dawn, as it always does, came too early. I find that going to sleep under the stars is lovely, but waking up outside is a drag. It leaves me itchy, damp, and with terminal bed hair. It wasn't until I stood that I realized my shoes were missing. Well, that explained the theme of my dream. I walked over to the still-sleeping Fergal and lightly kicked him with my bare foot. He shot straight up. What? He sputtered. Ha ha, Fergal. Very funny. What did you do with my shoes? What are you talking about? He said, getting his bearings. My shoes. I don't know how you did it without waking me up, but I want my shoes back. I don't have your shoes, he said, confused. Quit mucking around, Fergal. I had them on when I went to sleep. I'm telling you, I don't have your... Uh Uh-oh. Fergal jerked his hand a couple of times and then pulled his tunic over his head. Damn it, he said. Damn it, damn it, damn it. What? What is it? My banshee blade is gone. The wire, too. What do you mean, gone? Robbed, he said. We were robbed last night. Oh, just great, I thought. Now I'm going to have to walk in this godforsaken land barefoot. Then I had a terrible thought. Slowly, I reached down to my waist and felt for my scabbard. The sword of door was gone. They took my sword. My father is going to kill me. Fergal went over to the alder and placed his hand on the bark, then kicked it. 
A rain of branches showered down that made us run from under its cover. Fergal, what the hell is going on? We got rumbled by an alder last night. You're telling me that a tree mugged us? Oh, don't be stupid. Then who could have taken my shoes and your wire from under your shirt without waking us up? Brownies. Damn them. Whoosies? Brownies. Who else? You mean, like Girl Scouts? Why do you think they were girls? Fergal asked, confused. Never mind. I have to get my sword back. It is very important. Well, that's not going to be easy. Brownies weigh nothing, and they're famously difficult to track. We looked around at the dew-covered grass and then at each other. We were both wearing the same ear-to-ear -ear grin. You see, brownies are usually difficult to track, except when one of them is wearing Nike sneakers. Whoever stole my shoes must have had tiny feet because he dragged them along the ground trying to keep my size 11s from falling off. The tracks led to a stream, but they were easy to pick up on the other side. Fergal dashed under the tree and grabbed a couple of branches that we could use as weapons. He shouted a sarcastic thanks to the alder as it tried to rain more wood down on him. We followed the trail across some wide, open fields that led to rolling hills. The trees were thin and the ground pretty spongy, but periodically my bare feet made contact with a rock or a twig that made me yelp. I wasn't sure how long I would be able to keep this pace up. Saying that, I felt a lot better than I did yesterday. Every time I wanted to ask Fergal if we could rest, I remembered the Sword of Door. I had to get it back. I had a vision of meeting up with Dad and him saying, Let me get this straight. I gave you a sword that's been in our family for thousands of years, and you lose it in a day. I really wanted to avoid that conversation. After about an hour of jogging, we rounded a small hill. I lost the trail, but Fergal laid his head on the ground and pointed to a small cliff face about a quarter mile to our right. If we're lucky, they camped in those rocks, Fergal said. What makes you think they made camp? Look, my nanny Brieth always got mad at me when I talked badly about any race, but the truth of it is, brownies are cocky and stupid. They think they're so stealthy that they're untraceable, but... Look at these idiots. Not one of them bothered to look behind them to check if they were leaving a trail. My guess is they were up all night watching us, so I'm hoping they're camped in those rocks. And if you're wrong, well then, Connor, you're going to have to buy a new pair of those fancy shoes of yours. Where did you get them, anyway? Scranton, I said without thinking. Scranton? Never heard of it. Yeah, I laughed. A lot of people say that. The way was a bit harder here, and Fergal shushed me every time a pebble underfoot made me bark. When we reached the foot of the knoll, Fergal and I took a minute to rub the small stems and leaves off the branches we were carrying so as to fashion them into staffs. They weren't the best weapons in the world, but they'd have to do. Climbing the rock would have been a cinch if I'd had anything on my feet, but barefoot it was flippin' difficult. What was harder than the actual climbing was trying not to curse every time I stepped on a jagged edge. My poor tootsies were taking a beating. If I got through this without getting stabbed by my own sword, I was going to throttle whoever took my knights. Fergal reached the summit before me. 
He peeped over and instantly ducked down, placing his index finger over his lips, indicating that our light-fingered quarry was just over the rise. I pressed up next to him. There's only two of them, he whispered. We need a plan. Have you ever done this before? Done what? Attacked two armed men with sticks. No, but I'm looking forward to it, he smiled. His smile was so infectious, I said, Okay, what's the plan? One of us should circle around behind him. When he's in position, the other one makes a frontal attack from here. The one of us that comes from the rear should be able to take them out before the one that attacks from here gets sliced up too much. As much as I don't fancy the idea of getting sliced up too much, you have to go around back. My feet are killing me. Okay, take a quick look and you'll see a gap from the back. I'll be coming from there. I was nervous until I stuck my nose over the ledge. They looked like a couple of teenage street urchins. They had black matted hair and wore tight, dark green clothes stretched over bodies so skinny they would have made a supermodel look chunky. Between them there was a campfire that had a dome of gold wire over it. The smoke rising from the fire seemed to disappear when it hit the wire. The two swords and Fergal's pack were lying behind them on the ground. When the larger guy got up to tend the fire, I saw that the smaller one had my shoes on the ground between his legs. He had removed the laces from one of them, and then, to my horror, I realized he was about to cut the tongue out of the sneaker. That's when I kind of forgot where I was. I stood up and yelled, Hey! Vaulted over the ledge and slid down to two very surprised brownie. What is the matter with you? I shouted. The little guy just froze. The bigger one grabbed the sword of door and pointed it at me. What confused him was that I just ignored him. I walked over to the little guy and grabbed the shoe. I was mad. What is the matter with you? If you're going to steal my knights, the least you could do is give them a little respect. The hell are you cutting them for? The bigger guy poked me in the back with my sword. I turned to him and said, I'll deal with you in a second. I looked around. Fergal was nowhere to be seen. I turned back to Junior. I'm talking to you. Why the hell were you cutting up my sneakers? He seemed too terrified to speak. I towered over him. Well? My, my feet got sweaty in him, he stammered. Oh, I see. So after sweating in my shoes, you decided to cut them up. I think I would have slapped him if the big guy hadn't just given me a good jab in the ribs that demanded my attention. If you take one more step towards my brother, the bigger one said, I'm going to run you through. I turned. He had strikingly pale blue eyes that, unlike his brother, had no fear in them. He was holding my sword to my chest, but I remained calm. That is my sword, I pointed out. And in about three seconds, I'm going to take it back. And how are you going to do that? His voice betrayed a tiny loss of confidence. I'm going to pick it up off the ground after my friend Fergal clocks you in the head with a tree branch. He went down like a house of cards. I turned quickly to the little guy who was still frozen like a rabbit in headlights. I picked up my sword and pointed at the soles of my feet. Look at my tootsies. Do you see how dirty they are? I should make you lick them clean. I took a step towards him and he started to shake. I instantly felt sorry for him. That kid was way out of his league. I crouched down. Hey, little guy, relax. We're not going to hurt you. I turned to Fergal. We're not going to hurt him, right? Well, I'm not going to hurt anybody, Fergal said as he began to tie up the big brother. But 
You seem a bit worked up about your footwear. Well, I like those shoes. Yeah, I've noticed. I turned back to the boy. Okay, it's decided. No one's going to hurt you. What's your name? My brother told me I'm not supposed to tell you my name, even if you torture me. Wow, you guys are a real bunch of desperados. Mind if I call you Jesse? I... I guess. Fergal finished hogtying the brother and came over. Fergal, meet Jesse. Fergal leaned over the boy. What kind of name is Jesse? I tapped him on the shoulder and said, I made it up, but I think he likes it. Just go with it. Okay. Hi, Jesse. What are you two doing so far from the Fernland? My, my brother said it would be easy picking out here, but we haven't seen anybody for ages. I wanted to go home, only he made me keep going. He said father would let him take his crudo early if he came back with quality acquisitions. I, I didn't mean to hurt your shoes, honest. What are you going to do with us? Crudo? It's the manhood test, he said, and then the poor kid turned ghastly white. Oh, gods, I, I shouldn't have told you that. So that was it. The story is old as time. Big Brother, with delusions of manhood, roped Little Bro into doing something incredibly stupid. I picked up the canteen from the ground, walked over to Big Bro, and poured some water on his head. He spluttered awake and tried to get up. When he realized he was hogtied, he looked at Fergal and me. His bravado from earlier had vanished. "'Good morning, Frank. What is Frank?' he said. "'You are, since your little brother over here has informed us that we won't know your real names until after we torture you, I decided to call you Frank and him Jesse until then. My name is Demi, and my brother is Kadna. I turned to Jesse slash Kadna, who now had his mouth wide open in amazement. Well, Jesse, it looks like your brother isn't much for torture. I turned back to Big Bro. You know, Demi, I like Frank better. You don't mind if I call you Frank, do you? No, sir. Good. Okay, Frank, here's what we're going to do. First, we're going to take our acquisitions back. You don't have any problem with that, do you, Frank? No, sir. You know, I'm really starting to like your attitude, Frank. Next, I'm going to borrow your shoes and let you have the opportunity, like I had, to climb barefoot over those rocks. I crouched down and took Frank's sandals off his feet, picked up Jesse's from the ground, and threw them over the stone ridge as far as I could. We're going to leave you now, but before we do, you are going to promise me that the next time you have a harebrained idea, you're not going to drag your brother into it, right? Yes, sir. Good. Fergal, do you have anything to add? Fergal had reattached his banshee blade and was now examining the gold-wired dome that he had taken from its position over the fire. Smoke was now floating freely into the air. Now that you mention it, Connor, I was thinking of taking this interesting thing as payment for our troubles. Frank tried to stand when Fergal said this and fell on his side. Please, don't take our father's smokescreen. He'll kill us if we lose it. I grabbed Frank by the arm and pulled him back up into a sitting position. So let me get this straight. Dad doesn't know you took it. He shook his head, a pathetic no. I took the smokescreen from Fergal and placed it on Frank's head like a skullcap. Jesse, can I give you a little piece of information that will help you for the rest of your life? 
Jesse just stared at me and then slowly nodded yes. Your big brother? He's an idiot. He nodded to me again. As we walked to the rim of the knoll, Fergal said, I would really have liked that smokescreen. Yeah, I said, but I know what it's like to get in trouble with your dad, and I didn't have the heart to do that to him. I gave him one last look before I climbed back down. Jesse was still sitting stock still. I called to him. Jesse, you can untie your brother anytime you want, but if I were you, I'd make him suffer for a little while longer. He looked up to me and then gave me the tiniest smiles and then waved. Behave, you two, I shouted as I jumped down the rock face. It was later that day that we ran into Raph, but, well, you know that story. I didn't see Frank and Jesse again until after Dad retook the throne. There was that boring time when all the dignitaries came to pay tribute to Dad, and I had to stand next to him like a trained monkey. But there was a nice moment when Dad sent for me to meet the King of the Brownies and his two sons. I entered from the rear of the throne room, nipped in next to Dad, and without looking, just bowed like Pop taught me to. When I straightened up, I saw a very pot-bellied brownie flanked by two open-mouthed youths. Frank! Jesse! How the hell are you? A look of terror crossed Frank's face as I walked towards him. He pulled his head back from his father's peripheral vision and shook his head. The Desperado boys had obviously not told their father about their little walkabout. You know my sons? The brownie king asked. I walked up close and looked each of them square in the eyes from about six inches away. I was close enough to see the sweat form on their brows. It was fun. I backed off. I'm sorry, your highness. I don't see very well since my ordeal in the battle. I am mistaken. As they left, Jesse glanced back, smiling, and slipped me a little wave. What was that about? Dad asked. I'll tell you later, I said. I left the throne room and sent a message to Dahi to have the two brownie boys' luggage searched by the porters before they left. I found out later they both had a couple of choice souvenirs in their bags. The third question that people always ask me is, what happened when you got back to the real world? Well, that's this story. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of this series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.